0: What a joy to be with you. And today is a special Sunday, a very special Sunday. We will be uh, receiving new members, and we also will be ordaining Dan as an elder. So, since it's a special Sunday, I'll be bringing a special message. So, I'm taking a break this Sunday from the book of Esther. So, those who are not here the last few Sundays, you have time to catch up with the sermon online. So I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, to the book, the letter of the Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to be reading verses 10 through 20. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. This very famous passage in the book of Ephesians, the armor of God. Would you stand and let's read God's infallible, beautiful word. Finally, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. You may be seated. As you walk through the, the letters of Paul, the Pauline epistles, the Pauline letters, you see that Paul used many metaphors for the church. He used very different metaphors for the church. Uh, we see Paul talking about the church as a body with many members. He talks about the church as a temple, and we are the bricks, that form, that the temple. He talks about the, the Christian life, the church as a vineyard, or as a household with many family members, a field. One of Paul's favorite metaphors for the Christian life and the church is the metaphor of warfare, military metaphors. Paul is famous for using military words to talk about the Christian life, so... Just some passages. If you're writing Romans 7:23, Romans 13:21, 1 Corinthians 9:7 through uh, 1 Corinthians 9:7, 2 Corinthians 2:14, and there are many other passages. When Paul talks about putting to death, taking captive, fight the good fight as a good soldier, those are all terminologies related to warfare, to armies. And we can think why, why, why does Paul use all these military metaphors? Why would he be using? Anyway, two two basic reasons for why Paul uses this warfare metaphor. First of all, is because of his background in, in the Roman Empire, and you, everywhere you'd walk, you'd see Roman soldiers everywhere. So that's one reason. But that's I don't think is the main reason. I think the main reason why Paul often uses the metaphor of warfare is because of his scriptures. He is always using the Old Testament, our Old Testament. And as you go through the Old Testament, it's filled with words and concepts related to warfare. You think about the nation of Israel, the nation of Israel was Camped, was grouped, was formed just as an army. As they were marching after they left Egypt, they were marching like an army. They had an army. David was famous as a warrior king. And you think about the Lord himself. We just think here, one of his favorite names in the Old Testament is what? The Lord Savaoth is his name. The Lord Savaoth. The Lord of Armies, the Lord of Hosts is His name. And He must win the battle. So we go through the Old Testament and you see the Lord. He is pictured as a warrior, as the captain of an army. He's pictured pictured, we sang here in Zech read Psalm 46, with his bow and arrow ready to fight for His people. And let me remind you that the New Testament ends with Jesus pictured as the Lord of Armies. Revelation 19, and the picture of Jesus is the one of with all his armies following after him, leading, conquering. So we start understanding why Paul is so into using the military metaphors for the church. Uh, one example here is when he says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 25, Paul says, "I have." Thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, or Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker, and fellow soldier. He calls him a fellow, what? Soldier. In Philemon, very similar, Paul says, Paul a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy our brother, to Philemon our beloved fellow worker, and Athia our sister, and Archippus, our, what? Fellow soldier. Why is he calling this Christian soldier, a fellow soldier? Because of the metaphor of a soldier. A soldier has a master. A soldier doesn't do whatever he wants to do. Right then. a soldier says, hey, I want to go there, I want to do this, woe to him. The mark of a good soldier is dedication, loyalty, submission, and self-sacrifice. That's what marks a good soldier. The word that Paul uses here... The Greek word sous-stratiotis, the sous is the prefix there, the sous is the fellow, where we get co. Uh, we have sous-presbyteros, co-elder. Sous, it's the prefix that a co, a fellow. And then he has the word soldier. The word soldier describes the strenuous character of service in the gospel. The Greek word speaks of one who serves in ar- arduous tasks. Or undergo severe experience together with someone else. That's key. He's going through hard tasks, hardships by himself. No. A soldier is always with someone else. Paul sees faithful Christians as a sharer. One who shares of the dangers involved in standing firm for Christ and in proclaiming the gospel. Let me ask you. When people look at your life, can they see this in your life? A soldier of Christ, a fellow soldier of Christ, marked by dedication, loyalty, self-sacrifice. Someone who serves in the hard task or undergoes severe experiences together with someone else. Because that's one of the metaphors that the Lord used for our lives as Christians. We should be marked by a soldier-like character. Paul says in 2 Timothy 2, he's telling Timothy, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust just your faithful man who will be able to teach others also. And then he says, Share in sufferings with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And then he explains No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since because His purpose is to please the one who enlisted him. Let me ask you, does he mark your life? (coughs) Being a fellow soldier, when people look at you, can they see loyalty, dedication, serving with others? Because if you are a Christian, if you are a true Christian, you have no choice. (coughs) The Lord drafted you, the Lord enlisted you to be part of His army. And that's why it's so crucial to have a local church. Because you don't fight by yourself. The Lord drafts you, and He enlists you, and He places you in a local church so you can fight with other Christians together. So, Paul brings this whole metaphor of warfare and the military aspect of the Christian life to a whole new level in Ephesians chapter 6. So, as you see, Ephesians chapter 6, look at verse 10. (coughs) Paul says, Finally, finally, that's the last. Fashion in the book of Ephesians. Those are his final words to the Ephesians. So it's very important because he's bringing his whole letter to an end. And look at the beginning of the letter. It's, it's beautiful how Paul begins. That's all you're singing here. Look at chapter 1, starting verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's all you're singing, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, Even as He chose us in Him. And he goes on to talk about the beauty of predestination and election and salvation. Chapter 2, the same thing. The grace of God saving us. And then suddenly he starts moving to more the the, the very practical aspect of all these doctrines. How to live in light of all these beautiful doctrines of salvation, redemption, predestination. So he starts talking how we should live. And and then just before he comes to chapter 6... (coughs) very practical uh, aspects for families, wives and husbands. He says, thank you, wives and husbands, and then servants, and then children and parents. And then he comes and says, finally, finally. Like, whoa, what's going on here? It's his way of saying, yes, even though we have all these blessings in Christ, even though we are in the heavenly places with Him already, things have been inaugurated, yet they have not been consummated. So the war has been conquered, but we still have battles. still have battles to fight as you are waiting for the consummation. And it's interesting that one of the purposes of Paul in writing this letter is to bring the unity in the church. He has been talking about unity in the church. Chapter 2, verses 11-22, through 22, chapter 3, verse 6, chapter 4. 1-16, through 16, chapter 5, 1-2, through 2, you can see Paul's heart in trying to bring unity to the church with the preaching of the gospel. And, and that's why he talks about the church as a household, the church as a body, the church as a temple, the church as a bride with her groom. And all these pictures, all these metaphors imply that the church must be united. Otherwise we will crumble. We will fall apart. And he comes towards the end here. It's a very fitting, the end. Because Paul is telling us, we need to keep fighting. Even though the war has been won, we need to keep fighting these spiritual battles to keep unity in the church, to keep living holy lives. And it doesn't take long, it doesn't take long for you to realize if you are serious about the Christian life, that's not a playground, it's a battleground. It doesn't take long for you to realize that the Christian life is no playground But it's a battleground, fighting for purity, fighting for holiness, fighting to grow into kindness, gentleness, self-control. And Paul comes and he tells us here in Ephesians 6, 10 through 20, even though the Christian life is a battleground, you don't fight that by yourself. And that's very important for us to keep in mind, we don't fight these battles on our own. And we tend to come to a feet, like the whole New Testament and the whole Bible, Especially the New Testament letters. We we tend to come to these letters and read in a very individualistic way. It's always me, 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 me. Right? And we forget that actually this letter was written to a church. We tend to come to this epistles, these letters, and now we think that Paul is first writing this to the individual. And we forget that actually he's talking to a whole group of believers who remember John James Ramble. John James Ramble. Ramble? That's his whole, whole name. John James Ramble. Sylvester Stallone playing Ramble. Do you remember? And what does he do? By himself, he can destroy armies, kill thousands by himself. Right? For those who are older, the Lone Ranger. Right? Tonto, the Lone Ranger. And, and that's the picture we have, as if we can fight on our own. But that doesn't tell you. The idea of a solitary Roman soldier going to battle was ludicrous, was laughable. To think that you can fight on your own is just laughable. It's a joke. If you ask anyone, especially as you're thinking the context of Paul's letter, ask any Roman soldier, can you fight on your own? And that's laughable. What made the Roman army so powerful and effective was the art of corporate execution, and operation. The way that the Roman soldiers worked together made them so effective, just like any other triumphant army, was the power of corporate work, working together as a a group of soldiers, a group of people. And when you come to Ephesians chapter 6, sometimes it's hard for us, especially the English, English language, because we don't have a difference between the you singular and the you plural when you have a verb afterwards. You are beautiful. You ate chocolate. Are you talking about you singular or you plural? You need the context in English language. Many other languages, you know that the you is plural because of how the verb is conjugated. And when you come here, just like the rest of the New Testament, the U is plural. He's not talking to an individual Christian. He's talking to the whole church. You all, you all must stand firm, must put on the armor of God. We, we tend to get this and just try to, oh I can do that on my own. You get the whole New Testament and you try to live that on your own. Forget it. That's messed up and you won't be able to do that. So when you come here, Paul is talking to the whole church in the, in the plural. You all, you. The armor that the Christian is to put on is a corporate and congregational activity. Christians don't live the Christian life on their own. Jesus gave local churches to function as armies, battalions, divisions, where soldiers fight together. And if you believe, if you truly believe that Jesus has saved you, has placed you in this church here, and you're a member of this church, You've got to look around and say, these guys here, these people here, they are my fellow soldiers. These people are my fellow soldiers. This is the battalion that God has placed you. The band of brothers here. These are the people who will help you to put on the armor of Christ. To stand firm in the day of evil. The evil day. And these are the people whom you should be helping to get dressed with the armor of God. Have you been doing that? Have you been helping one another to put on the forearm armor of God? One commentator says, Just as a soldier would need help in put on his armor, we are called to arm each other. Have you thought about that? In the morning, do you think about your brother and sister in Christ and think if he's wearing the helmet of salvation, if he's wearing the breastplate of righteousness, are you concerned with that? Or it's me, 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 me my life. So remember, that's a a corporate, that's a congregational activity to put on the full armor of God. We do that together. Look at verses 10 through 12 in your Bibles. Paul tells us the enemy that we face. Paul starts reminding us who our enemy is. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness. It's crucial when you are in a battle to know your enemy. That's part of knowing who you are fighting against. Yeah, we're in a battle. Who's our enemy? I have no idea. Oh, that's going to be great. But well, that's why Paul starts telling us who our enemy is. And he's makes sure that we know it's Satan, it's the devil. The liar, the father of all lies. So you know his techniques, his schemes. Always trying to deceive you. Always trying to bring lies. Very active with his bow and arrow. Throwing fiery darts with lies to bring confusion. To bring slander. To bring gossip. And many times the devil will try to make you believe that your enemies are actually the people who love you the most. He will make you believe that your enemies are actually those who love you the most. When you are confronted with a sin, a sinful lifestyle or a sin that you committed, when you are exhorted or rebuked, when the preaching touches a very delicate area of your life, when a member of the church does not reply the way you wanted, and Satan just has a great feast there. And he makes you believe that actually those are your enemies. Why is he talking like that? Why, who is he to tell me what to do? Why hasn't her replied to my text, to my email, when I, when I wanted? And suddenly, it's the people who love you the most that start becoming your enemy. So Paul is just making sure, make sure that you know who your enemy is and his schemes. So Paul says, verse 18, be alert, be awake, and. Brian Chapel he writes, the evil one who parades as an angel of light blinds us to the devastating effects of these forces. He deludes or distracts us with, oh, that's so key, with selfish interests to convince us that we must accept these evils for the sake of personal liberty, pleasure, and power that are supposed to bring happiness. So you have an enemy. Peter tells us that he's sprawling like a lion, ready to devour. Paul talks about this evil day when temptation, the desire, and the opportunity they all come together. He says, Be alert, you are in the battlefield. And so many Christians is sleeping. He's sleeping. So Paul says, You have an enemy. And yes, he loves. He loves to use our flesh. Distract us with selfish interest. You start thinking selfishly. You stop thinking about others. You stop thinking as a Christian should think. Putting others above your own desires. And suddenly when you see yourself, you're just thinking about yourself, and actually the church doesn't matter anymore for you. I'll move on. I'll find I will find somebody else, some other people. So we have an enemy, Paul says. So he tells us how how to withstand this attack. And look at what he says, verse 13. Therefore, therefore, take up the whole armor, the whole, not just parts, the whole armor of God. This armor belongs to God. He has given you. And Paul tells us, as a church, you all are supposed to put on this whole armor. And here's the language of battlefield, of war. And let me remind you that the language, the the. When people were thinking about wars, that was pretty gruesome and cruel. The images that would come to their minds had nothing to do with romantic or beautiful pictures of war. You think about ancient battlefields, heads rolling, pieces of arms, pieces of hands, legs, blood, mud. That's how war was. One scholar says the key moment of a nation battle was when the two bodies of troops, came crashing together in a terrible cacophony of smashed bronze, wood, and flesh. Holding one's ground at this was a tragic, a strategic moment. You had to hold your ground. In the close combat, each side would seek a moment for the push. So Paul's vigorous call to arms reflected this often sustained close order combat in which soldiers were bunched together, giving and receiving hundreds of blows at close range. So the key was the whole army standing together in unity, one helping each other to stand strong as the other army is coming. That's the picture that Paul has here. How well can a church stand together? How well can a church hold themselves together? This is key for victory. That's what Paul is telling us here. That's why he keeps saying, stand firm, stand firm in the strength, in the might of the Lord. So he says, therefore, take up the whole armor. It's all active. It's, nothing is passive here. Take up, put on, put on. It's all active. The Christian life is active. It's not passive. I, I, I'm not a big fan of war and, and, and battles. That's the Christian life, brothers and sisters. Look at that. There is nothing passive here. Christian life is not easy. A comfortable life. I don't want any intensity. I just want my comfort. I just want my beautiful house. My comfortable home. My comfortable cars. Money in the bank. Nice clothes. Nice shoes. And when you don't get there, you get all depressed. (laughs) I have a horrible life. That's the Christian life. Battle for holiness. Battle for preserving unity in the church. Battle for loving one another. Battle in forgiving. Being kind, speaking with gentleness, dying to yourself, placing others above yourself, contentment. It's a battle. It's a battle. And that's why we take church membership so serious. That's why we take that seriously. Because we believe that the Christian life is, as Paul says here, a battleground. It's not a playground. You don't come here to be entertained. It's not a place to be entertained, to have fun. We are to make sure that each other is wearing the helmet of salvation. Make sure that the member here, Brian, I need to make sure that he has the helmet of salvation when people are slandering, him, bringing false accusations. Brian, make sure that you have the helmet of salvation. Let me tell you, it's so important because the helmet of salvation will make you humble. When you realize that you were by nature a child of hell and that you are saved by grace and mercy alone, That takes you to a whole new level of being patient with one another, being kind, forgiving. We are to take up the shield of faith, verse 16. And here, the shield, they were massive, about four feet by two. The the Greek word is literally the door. Consisted of two layers of wood glued together, covered with linen and bound with iron. One scholar says the edges of the shields were so constructed that an entire line of soldiers could interlock shields and march into the enemy like a solid wall. And he says this suggests that we Christians are not in the battle alone. Each soldier has a duty, a part to play. You have the duty to put on the full armor and make sure the others are put on the full armor. And there are aspects that you might need help buckling back there. And you need other people to come and help you with the armor. As we sing together, as we come together and sing to each other, we are helping each other to put on the, the helmet of salvation. As we are singing those beautiful doctrines, we are placing the helmet in our heads and making sure the others are placing also with the truth of Christ. As we listen to the preaching together, we are helping each other to put on the breastplate of righteousness. We need to make sure that we are helping each other to get their feet ready with the shoes of the gospel. Have you been doing that? (coughs) When a brother or sister, her arms are tired, struggle, difficulties, are you there to hold the shield with him or her? When a brother or sister in the church is being attacked by anxiety, false accusation, lies, are you making sure that that person is put on the full armor of God in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening? You see, the, the, the Christian life that we, we picture is just, leave me alone. I'll do whatever I want to do. You mind your own business, I mind my own business. <coughs> That's not the, the life that the Lord wants from His people. When the fiery darts of Satan come, bringing discontentment, anger, bitterness, selfishness, gossip, We are to help each other to put on that shield, the shield of faith, to protect the whole congregation. One commentator says, The Christian shield effectively counteracts the danger of such diabolical missiles, not merely by arresting or deflecting them, but by actually quenching the flames to prevent them from spreading. That's why the shields were soaked before the battle in water, the metal. The ladder. Why? To avoid the flame to spread. And that's a picture for us. Avoiding. That's Satan's dart to spread through the church. So we need to have. We need to, to fight, help each other. Put on the shield of faith. So it's a beautiful picture that Paul has here for the church. How the church must live in unity. Fight in unity together. The enemy that we are fighting. And though it's a, it's a very exciting day today where we'll be celebrating the new members, having the ordination of a new elder in this church, I just want to give a, a very sobering pastoral warning. That sad. But some of you will leave this place, I'm not kidding, sometime in the future you will walk away from this church in a very ungodly way, just like some have done in the past. And you know that's ungodly and it's selfish because they don't even have the guts to come and talk to the people in the church and explain why they're leaving because it's so unbiblical. that They are ashamed of coming and saying why. And some of you will. will put your guards down. You stop praying for one another. You stop making sure the others are wearing the full armor. And you're going to walk away looking at people in the church and saying that they are your enemies. And Satan, his greatest desire is to have you far away from a healthy church. That's his greatest desire, to have you far away from a healthy church. And he will fight, he will make sure that you have confusion, cloudiness, chaos in your mind, and start thinking evil about some people, he will destroy you. The moment you put your guards down, the moment you stop praying for others, the moment you stop thinking about others, the moment you stop placing your life on the line for others, and you start just thinking about yourself, poor me, poor me, poor me, they don't have this for me, they don't have this for me, they don't have this for me. suddenly it's done, brothers and sisters, out of here, walking away. And you notice that there is no armor for the back. There is no protection for the back. Why? In the military they say, I get your back. I got your back. I got your back. Because the church is supposed to protect one another. And you walk away, you turn your back away, and then that's an easy target for Satan to come and destroy you. And you look at some people, no joy. Let me ask you, whose back are you protecting? Who are the people in this church that you are thinking daily and praying daily? Do you have anybody? From this church, this battalion here that the Lord placed you, Paul says in Galatians 6:2, Paul says, "Bear one another's burden. That's also military language. To carry something heavy. Bear one another's burden. That's why Martin Luther said that Christians, they must have strong shoulders, strong bones. Why? Because you are to carry one another's burden. Carry one another. Think about war, and, and, and one of your fellow soldiers is, is fallen, is down, and you're supposed to carry that man to a safe place. Carry one another's burden. Let me ask you, and, and that, you need to answer that. No, not, Don't answer me, but answer that. Whose burdens have you been carrying from people in this church? Who are the people? Honestly, give names, write down names. May I have been praying for this Person, I have been spending time with this person so much that I'm carrying that person's burden. Is there anyone? We are commanded. Carry one another's burden. Or is it just your own burden? Oh, you have no idea my burdens. Are you sharing somebody? Are you being vulnerable? Asking someone in this church to come alongside you and help you? The moment you stop bearing one another's burden, you become selfish. Then it's all about your burdens. And Satan loves that when you just think about yourself. Poor me. Wow. Nobody called me. Nobody texted me. Have you done that? Have you contacted others? So that's a beautiful, very exhorting picture that Paul has for the church. It's very glorious because he's letting us know that we don't fight alone. Yes, it's a battleground, but you are not alone. The Lord has given you the full armor. It's He he has given you, and he has given you a whole battalion of people to help you. Let me finish with this quote. John McVeigh, he says, The military metaphor developed in Ephesians 6, 10-20 depicts the church's battle against evil as combat that requires full, sustained, and energetic engagement of the foe. Believers are not merely sentinels who stand stoically at watch, but those who fight. The passage represents a call to arms that is especially interested in the spirit, the corpse of believers. It does not envision Christian Christians as lone warriors battling in splendid isolation, but instead portrays the ecclesia militant, the militant church, in which the addresses are to enlist as fellow soldiers against the church's foe. A very encouraging metaphor for the body. Very, very encouraging, exhorting, comforting. And maybe you don't even know, but you have people in this church who have been praying for you. People who have been carrying your burdens. You don't even know that. People who are spending time in prayer, caring for you, thinking about you. It's a beautiful metaphor. And it's very fitting, I think, for today, as we have the great honor of bringing new fellow soldiers, new members, new, new, new people that the Lord has brought bringing to this body to help us to join arms together and, and just fight this spiritual battle. But it's a great joy that the Lord has been gracious to us and drafting more people to be fellow soldiers with us.